Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to be back together in the Lord's house. Amen. Let's turn back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14. Again, I want to encourage our young people, too, to turn to the book of Genesis chapter 14. About a, that ought to be an easy book to find. It's the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 14. And I want to encourage uh, mom and dad to help your kid. Uh, encourage them, bring your Bible, uh, use your Bible, learn how to find passages of Scripture in the Bible. We want them to learn how to use the Bible. Amen? We want them to grow up learning how to use the Bible. First, first lesson to learn is how do you operate it, chapter and verse. And I hope and pray that you live by chapter and verse the rest of your life. Amen? That you learn to use the Bible, but more importantly, you learn to live the Bible. Amen? Don't just be hearers of the Word. Don't just listen, but be doers of the Word. Do what the Bible says. Amen? Do what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 14. Of course, last week we took a break from Genesis, and we'll do that from time to time. Genesis chapter 14. Uh, we're going to begin at verse 17. Um, just for... Just for a, uh, a summary of where we're at, this is right after, if you remember, that Lot was rescued by his uncle, Abraham, and Lot had a, remember he eyed Sodom, he lifted his eyes to Sodom in Genesis 13, 10, then he, he uh, chose the well-watered plains of Sodom, uh, he uh, got close to Sodom, then you get to chapter number 14, we find that he's actually now, he's in Sodom. And Lot was literally kidnapped. The world had kidnapped Sodom, had kidnapped Lot, excuse me. And that's what can happen to us too, amen? We can get so far out in the world before we know it, we're caught up in something that we was unprepared for, literally been kidnapped, been held hostage by the world. And that's what happened to Lot. But thank God he had a godly uncle. And thank God many of us have had godly influences in our lives. And God has used these wonderful saints to rescue us, haven't they? Uh, I'm reminded of a story once where uh, this, this godly grandmother had a, had a grandson who was a drunkard. He, was a, a, he abused alcohol. And she prayed for him all the time. And she was always praying for him. And one day he come home late from a, a night out and he heard his grandmother praying for him. And she said in so many words, Lord, please save my grandson. Please save him from his sins. As I read in, in the Bible, there'll be no drunkards in heaven. Save him from his sins. And he heard his grandmother praying, and that night he gave his heart to Christ. From, he got rescued by a godly grandmother. Amen. And thank God in many of our lives have been that way. We can say, praise the Lord, it was because of a, a godly pastor. Praise the Lord, it was because of a godly parents, a godly spouse, and God used to rescue us. And that's what happened to Lot. He had a godly uncle. So then we pick up verse 17 that Abraham is he's leaving the battle, heading home, and he is met by the king of Sodom and also by a very important but strange biblical character by the name of Melchizedek. In Amen. The Bible says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedor Lamar. And the kings that were with him in the valley of Sheva 
which is in the king's dale or the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, who also came to meet Abraham, and he brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. He was the high priest of God. Verse number 19, the Bible says, And he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And he said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now Abraham paid Melchizedek tithes. We find there's a commentary on that in Hebrews chapter 7. Consider how great Abraham was that he even paid tithes to Melchizedek. But in verse number 21, here comes the king of Sodom. Now remember, the king of Sodom, Sodom, we learn from chapter 13 and verse number 13 that they were sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So it's like God is, if you're studying your Bible, notice things like this. God is bringing up something for us to compare and contrast. So God has introduced to us Melchizedek. He's the priest of the Most High God. And also there's another character in Abraham's life, Abraham's life, and he is the king of Sodom. He is not the priest of the Most High God. He is the king of a city where the men are before the Lord, sinners exceedingly. Genesis 13, 13. So the king of Sodom, verse 21 of chapter 14, said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. So you can have everything, all the spoils of war, Abram. Abraham, verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I will not take from a thread even to the shoe latchet. I'm not going to take a shoestring, that's what he's saying. And that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abraham rich. So Abraham has been offered a wonderful gift. I don't know how much it is, but it's a lot. And Abraham says, I, don't, I won't even take a shoestring from you. I don't want anybody to think that the king of Sodom made me rich and blessed me. Verse 24, Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the meat, the men with which went with me, Anar, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. But Abraham didn't take a thing. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here. As Brother Wiley said, it is good for us to be here. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. And God, we just pray that you, you take your word now. Give us an appetite, an ear, and a heart for your word. Lord, that we can realize the opportunity this morning is that we get to learn about this story, how Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Lord, I pray you'd take your word and bring it to life. You'd help me to preach, forgive me of my sins, bless your church by your word, build up your church by your word, help us to listen and to do what we hear. And God, I pray you'll get the glory and the honor for it all. In your name, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Now, it seems, don't it, there's like a battle for Abraham here. So there's Melchizedek, says, I want to bless you. And then there's King of Sodom, and he's like, I want to bless you too. There's always a struggle for us. You noticed? There's always a conflict, isn't there? Every one of us, there's a war going on. Often it's in us. There's always this conflict between the world 
and the Lord. And for God's people, it's always that. Do I follow Jesus or am I being drawn away from God? There's this constant internal conflict in our lives. Abraham, he's had a great victory. And oftentimes, the, we're tempted after a great victory. But oftentimes, praise the Lord, the Lord also comes and He strengthens us after we've fought a great battle. We see here that Melchizedek, he's an interesting biblical, biblical character. It's kind of unusual. He just shows up out of nowhere, don't he? Which is odd for the book of Genesis. Because every time there's a character in the book of Genesis, there's always, they come from somebody. Like, like Abraham, son of Terah. There's always a genealogy in Genesis. There's not one for Melchizedek. The other two times in the Bible that Melchizedek is mentioned is in Psalms 110 verse 4, and then in Hebrews, the last portion of Hebrews chapter 6, and then in Hebrews chapter number 7. In Psalms 110 verse 4, the Bible says it's a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus would be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. God even said, I swear and I will not repent. God said, this is the way that it's going to be. And nothing is going to stop it. So Melchizedek is introduced to us as the king of Salem. It's interesting that Salem here means peace. He's the king of peace. Melchizedek also had the name as an interesting meaning. It means king of righteousness. So Melchizedek is the righteous king of peace. Do you see what's happening here? It's like that God is introducing us to a character, isn't he? All the way from the beginning, God is showing us something. So Melchizedek means, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Salem means peace. So Melchizedek is the high priest of God, of the most high God, not just any God. He is the high priest of the God of Abraham. Abraham obviously gets it because even Abraham pays a tithe to Melchizedek. The difference is, is, is striking. So the king of Sodom wants to pay Abraham, and Abraham don't take it. The irony is, is that Melchizedek only blesses Abraham. He receives no monetary gift from Melchizedek. Abraham doesn't at all. But Abraham actually pays a tithe to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is king of righteousness, over the he, and Salem means peace. He's, we put it together. He's the righteous king of peace. Now, the Bible says in Psalms 110, verse 4, that the Lord Jesus will be from the priesthood of Melchizedek. So, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, and the Bible says in Psalms 110, verse 4, that Jesus is going to be a priest like Melchizedek. You get to Hebrews chapter number 11, the, excuse me, chapter 7, and the Bible begins to explain why Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, just for, just for our minds and our hearts, a high priest is what? Somebody who represents you to God. Somebody who offers a sacrifice for your sins. Somebody who's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. A high priest is always somebody who knows what you're going through. Wasn't Jesus touched with the feelings of our infirmities? Wasn't the Lord tempted in all points, even as we are? And so Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek because Melchizedek, he has no genealogy. He came from nowhere. 
He has no father or no mother. He's of no descent. And he doesn't seem to end. We have no reference of his death. And so Jesus is the same. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus doesn't have a genealogy because Jesus was not created. Jesus is the co-equal, co-eternal Son of the living God. Let us, you know, make man in our image. Let us come down and confound their language. Jesus didn't have a beginning at Bethlehem. Jesus has always existed. Amen. I'm so glad that my Jesus isn't like the Mormon Jesus who was a created being. I'm glad that my Jesus isn't like the Jehovah Witnesses Jesus who is the brother of the who is the brother of Lucifer. I'm glad that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the co-equal, co-eternal Son of the living God. Amen? That Jesus is God. That Jesus, that everything that exists and was created, were created by Him and through Him, and there was nothing that was made except it was made by His hand. And so the Bible says that Jesus will be like from the order of Melchizedek. That he'll have no beginning, he'll have no end, he's the king of righteousness, he's, Isaiah says he's the prince of peace. And so what does the Bible teach us about Melchizedek? He is like the Lord. Now some would even go this far, and I'm about with them, that Melchizedek here is an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call these, a theological word is a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Now some might think, well, how can that be? Because don't you know that Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem? Jesus always has been, amen? Amen. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, like we're going to see, like the the three angels come and they meet Abraham and the angels say, we're going to destroy the wickedness of Sodom. And remember Abraham, he falls down to the angel in the middle and he worships him and that angel of God there does not rebuke Abraham from worshiping him. He receives that worship. All throughout other passages of the Bible, whenever an angel, a real angel, is in the presence of someone bows down, there's always this way, hey, don't worship me, I'm just an angel. Worship the Most High God. So I believe that this is either, Melchizedek here, is either a type of Jesus, or that, that's a picture or a foreshadowing of Jesus, that Jesus is like this, or it really is the Son of God. Now you think, well, how can that be? Don't you know that Jesus has been from the beginning? I wanted to draw your attention to something about the book of Genesis. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ark that saves us from the judgment and the wrath of God. Amen? Jesus, Jesus is the lamb that was offered in the place of Isaac. Jesus is all throughout the Bible, amen? And don't ever think, well, when I get to the New Testament, I'll find Jesus. No, listen, you'll find the Lord Jesus Christ in the beginning, and you'll find the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Even so, Lord Jesus, come, amen? So oftentimes we think, well, what does Abraham have to do with Jesus? 
Abraham's life is an important narrative that explains to you and I that righteousness is through faith and that God declared someone righteous by believing the Word of God and this righteousness is a provided righteousness. It's a righteousness that God extends and it's not righteousness that you could earn or achieve. Jesus is from the beginning. And Jesus is in the beginning. Amen? And so Melchizedek, he blesses Abraham. So the Lord is blessing Abraham. Another interesting passage is in chapter 14, verse 18, where Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of Salem, king of peace, he brings forth bread and wine, which is which is interesting because this, we could say these are the elements of the Lord's Supper. And we think about the Lord's Supper, why do we have bread and wine? This is the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Melchizedek, what he does bring Abraham isn't money, but he's offering him something greater, it seems. He's offering him the true blessings that come from God. And from our end of this perspective, now that we've seen the Second Testament, the New Testament, a new covenant, a better covenant built on better promises provided because of a better sacrifice, the Lord Jesus, not the sacrifice of blood of bulls and goats which can never take away sin and by people's continual coming with an offering of a goat or a lamb or a turtle dove or a pigeon, it must remind them that the blood of animal sacrifice can never take away sin. Jesus through another covenant, a new covenant, not an Abrianic covenant, not an Arianic covenant, excuse me, but through the covenant sealed by his own blood. This sacrifice that Christ offers is the true blessing that comes from God. That's the true blessing. Some of you might think, well, I've been blessed, I got a nice home. Listen, if you don't have Jesus, you've not been blessed. <laughs> Absolutely, it rains on the just and the unjust, which is a good thing because farmers need rain. A righteous farmer gets rain and a wicked farmer gets rain. Hey, everybody has a house, but if you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not know the blessings that come from God. Amen? Some people think, well, if I had more money, that, that's, that is insane to think that. You need Jesus. That's what you need. The greatest gift of all is for God so loved the world, you know it, that he what? Gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth upon him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I pause the sermon for a second? And I want to, I want to, any heart here this morning that is broken, that is hurting, that is frustrated, that is lonely, that is filled with shame and regret and turmoil and heartache and guilt and worry, and a sense of judgment, and misery, I can go on, that God, it's not me, that God Himself is offering you His only begotten Son. That if you would believe upon Him, you will not perish. And it's an interesting expression because without Christ, we all had or have a sense of perishing upon our soul. We understand the sense of condemnation. A sense of shame and guilt and, and, and regret of sin is the symptoms, it is the, it, is the, it is the earnest of the expectation of future condemnation. 
It is the symptoms and the dread of what is yet to come. It is, it is a taste of the judgment and the misery that is yet to be experienced. It is a dread upon the soul. It's a foreshadowing. It's, it's, a, it's a prelude. It's the preface of what is going to eternally happen. And if any heart today is outside of the love of God, I'm glad to, not that I offer, but as a herald, as a preacher of the gospel, as a minister of the gospel, as a waiter of the gospel, I come and I offer you the gift of God that He has already offered. You say, what must I do? Just simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Because there's nothing that you can do. There's what can you do? And have you not tried everything? You can't. There's nothing to be done. Nothing to be achieved. It is just simply faith alone. When we get to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 15, the Bible says in verse 1, which ties into this sermon quite well, that, that the Lord appears to Abraham in the first verse of the next chapter after God blesses Abraham through, through the high priest Melchizedek. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I am thy exceeding and thy great reward. I am thy shield and thy great reward. Abraham, I am everything you need. And God offers that to you this morning. And how do I have it? The Bible says that Abraham believed the Lord. That's it. He accounted the Lord's word as the gospel truth. He said it is true. And I believe it. And he believed on the Lord. And this morning, that's how you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I was thinking while the choir was singing, what a blessing, amen, about that grand and glorious day. I had no idea it would be the gift that keeps giving. All I knew was, as Wiley said, I did not want to not know God. I did not want to not know Jesus. All I wanted for some reason, a work of God in the sinner's heart, I wanted Jesus. I just wanted Jesus. I wanted to be right with God, and I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how it could happen, but thank God, God, like Abraham rescued Lot, God sent me a pastor. God sent me a mother. God sent me a Sunday school teacher, and they kept on telling me, it's the greatest gift, you'll need Jesus, believe on Jesus, but I'll be honest with you, Ruth, none of that worked until the Holy Ghost of God began to do an internal work in my heart. And all of us, I wanted Jesus. And what must I do then? I was so young and so little, and it's amazing, it doesn't matter, that's irrelevant, but except ye be like a little child, childlike faith, trust and obey, just believe on Jesus. You could no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just took him at his word. And I was sitting there thinking while they were singing, and that's why it's good to be where people are singing about the Lord, because what's it do to my heart? It does, does it to you. I'm like, wow, yes, yes, because of Jesus and what he's done and how he's blessed and how he's saved. And I had no idea back then I was reflecting and I was thinking about that, that I'm still just as saved today as I was then. But oh, it's the gift that keeps giving, isn't it? I'm still saved. And he's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so Melchizedek, he blessed, he blessed Abraham. How did he do it? He said he blessed him. 
Blessed be Abraham, verse 19. Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Here, Abram, I brought you some bread and wine. That'll make sense later on to you. But I bless you in the name of God. He's the possessor of heaven and an earth. So what is Bekezedek saying? Hey, I'm, I'm not going to give you any money. Everybody thinks money is going to fix their problems. Bekezedek says, I'm not going to give you any money. But I'm going to bless you in the name of God. The possessor of heaven and earth but I'm not giving you any money. What he's saying is, I'm offering you God. He's greater than money. That's what we need. We need the Lord, amen? Was it uh, Proverbs 15, 16? I remember it because it's 15, 16. Proverbs 15, 16. It's, what is it? It's better to have little with the Lord Right? Better to have little with the Lord than have, have silver or a bunch of money, but problems with it too. Amen. It's better to have the Lord, isn't it? Amen. So then the king of Sodom, he comes along and he's like, hey Abraham, I want to bless you too. I want to bless you. And I know Abraham's thinking at this point, like how could you bless me more than God? How can you bless me more than, uh, than uh, the possessor of heaven and earth? Because I, 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 I have something greater than the heaven and earth. I have God. I have something greater than money. I have God. I have something greater than silver and gold. I have the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I have the one who has the fullness and the silver and the gold thereof. I'd rather have the blesser than the blessings. I'd rather have a relationship with God than anything that God could give me. Because if I have God, then I have everything, don't I? If I have Him, then I would rather have Him than any of the secondary lesser joys that might come through His benevolence and grace, which is good upon all mankind, but I'd rather have Him. And that is why the prosperity, blasphemous gospel with a little g which anyone who preaches another gospel than the gospel of the Apostle Paul and which found in the New Testament, let them be accursed. Any other gospel with a little g that is trying to shed the importance upon lesser monetary money, experience, achievement, blessings, earthly speaking, then God is heresy. Because the greatest gift is Jesus. Remember Jesus said, it's, it's, it's amazing. Jesus said, is it, is it John 6 or 5? He says, you're only following me because I can feed you. You're only following me because I'm doing miracles. You're only following me because I can make your earthly life better. That's the only reason you're following me. You know, even in, even in the New Testament church, there are tares among the wheat. They don't really know God, but they enjoy the benefits that come from an atmosphere that God blesses. 
Just like America today. If America ever turns its back on Israel, America is doomed and finished. Do you know that? Now I know that Israel nor any nation is completely righteous, but those are God's people. Amen? And if we ever want to be blessed, let us bless those like God says, I will bless those who bless thee and I will curse those who curse thee. You let God worry about all the other stuff. But we've been blessed in this nation. Right? And there's a lot of people who are blessed within the church, and even though they don't know God, they're attached to this umbrella of blessings and grace that God has provided. Like you might grow up in a godly family, praise the Lord, but that don't mean you know God. You might enjoy the benefits of being the offspring of a Christian marriage. Praise God. But I know a lot of other people, they might even be molested or harmed or taken advantage of, and they know Jesus because they met him by grace through faith. And you don't know him at all, but you might look the part, but you don't know God. So again, we can't judge a relationship based upon earthly blessings. So Abraham's like, I would rather have God. So the king of Sodom comes. Now the contrast. So Melchizedek, priest of the most high God, king of righteousness, king of peace. Jesus is going to come from the high priestly order of Melchizedek without beginning, without end, not through a flawed Arionic priesthood, which those priests die, and Jesus comes from the other order where there is no obituary for Melchizedek, it's a better priesthood. And so Abraham's been blessed by the Most High God. He's been offered bread and wine and be blessed by the Most High God. Now Abraham could have been like a lot of Baptists and he could have said, well, what are the blessings? That's, no, the blessings is Jesus. <laughs> That's the blessing. Well, I'll come to you, Jesus, if then you don't know him. Can I say it? I've said it often. We're, we're about through here that don't come to Jesus like he's some sort of lottery ticket. That if you come to Jesus, your life's going to get great. Really, and I'll do it again, if you come to Jesus, your life on earth might get worse. Like Richard Wormbrand, Google his name. He was a Christian in the Eastern Soviet bloc of Europe. He followed Jesus when it was against the law to follow Jesus. They arrested him because he wouldn't quit talking about Jesus. Did Jesus make his earthly life better? No. He offered himself as he carried the cross with Jesus. They beat the bottom of his feet, bruised so bad he couldn't even walk with a club. And then when it got better, you think they quit? No. They let him get better. And so when he got better, they beat his feet again. They pulled his joints out of socket. And when they healed him up, took him to the doctor so he'd get better so they could beat him again. Your life might get worse. But when you understand that Jesus is the greatest treasure, it's amazing how they fit. Like last Sunday morning sermon, that we count all things but dung that we might win him. What are all things? My personal comfort, my level of uh, economic uh, that I think is justifiable. No, you might lose everything but to... What would it profit you if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I heard some great financial, once, financial advice once, and I, it applies to spiritual life too, 
The man said, you can either pay now or play later, or you can play now and pay later. You carry the cross before there's ever a crown. Because the end is far better than the beginning. And all our lives are like Job a little bit, but if we know Jesus, then God will bless the latter end more than the beginning. And wouldn't you rather know everlasting life and righteousness and have a home in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ and, I don't know, make a hundred grand? Jesus. So here comes the king of Sodom. It's like, oh, Abraham, I want to bless you too. I know Melchizedek blessed you, but he didn't really give you anything. He gave you some food, some wine, and he said, I bless you in the name of the Most High God. But King of Sodom says, I want to give you something now. I mean right now. And the King of Sodom comes along, and remember who he is. He is the king of a people who in uh, Genesis 13, uh, 13 are wicked sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So he must be a part of that because this ain't a democracy. He's a king, and he could have said, we ain't doing this stuff no more, and he didn't do it, so he must be a part of it, or he's complicit to it in some way. And here he comes, and he says, hey, oh, Abraham, I want to I bless you too. I, I, I want to give you a bunch of stuff right now. Right now. Now remember, Abraham's walking by faith. Don't forget that. And this is an example that we should follow in his steps. And Abraham says to the king of Sodom, verse 22, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord, the most high God. He's like the possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 23, I'm not going to take a shoestring from you. I'm not going to let people say that you blessed my life, that you made me rich. I don't, I don't want to be associated with you. I don't want to be compromised with you. Here's what Abraham's saying. I don't want anything from this world unless it comes from the Lord. That's what he's saying. I don't want anything from this world unless it comes from the Lord. You know what Abraham's saying? Hey, my family's not for sale, king of Sodom. They're not for sale. Yeah, but Abraham, I can put your future kids through school. Yeah, I'd rather have little with the Lord because my family's not for sale. Yeah, but I'm on, you could take this money, Abram. I know you're planning on having kids, right, Abram? Yeah. You could buy a crib, fancy house. All you've got to do is follow me. Compromised. You know, the king of Sodom, it's almost like he's, his, 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 he's a type of the devil, isn't he? He's the king of unrighteousness. He's the king of a place where men are exceedingly wicked. And he's like, hey, I want to I offer you something. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. If you receive it, that's it. Just receive it. I'll change your earthly life. Abraham walked by faith and had enough sight by faith. Sight by faith. He walked by faith and not by sight. He had enough he looking for a city who, who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And he's like, you know what, King of Sodom, I'm going to pass because my relationship to God, the future of my family, 
And, and the future that is yet to come that I have not seen, that I hath not seen nor ear hath heard, the good things that God has in store for those who love Him. You know what? I'm just going to walk by faith and I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to trust that all things are going to work together for the good to them that know Him and love Him and call according to His purpose. And I'm going to reckon that the sufferings of this present time shall not be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to walk with Him. Straight and narrow will be the way because I don't, haven't seen it yet, but the, the one who owns the heaven and the earth, I'd rather have his blessing than anything, King of Sodom, that you can give me. No, nah, I'm good. I just, I'd rather have little with the Lord. I don't want anybody to think that you blessed me. I want all my blessings to come from the Lord. Wise choice. Amen? So then, I've already alluded to it, verse, chapter 15, verse 1, and I'm finishing. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. In a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. So there must have been, Abraham must have been like, ah, could have really helped my family. It could have really made a difference. I mean, I, my family would have been financially set more than they are now. I mean, I could, have, I could have been blessed by King of Sodom, but the Lord comes, and He does, don't He? Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I'm everything you need, Abram. I'm all that you need. Listen, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, then you do not have all that you need. You need something else, don't you? If life is going well, that's good, but it won't. It won't. It's not going to. I'm 41 now. I already lived long enough to know that. It won't always go good. You're going to need someone. You're going to need someone. And I often, you know, I think Dr. Aiden Rogers said, you know, we always say, you better know Jesus because you might die. And I quoted it last week. But you better know Jesus too because you might live. You need the Lord in your life today. Not tomorrow. Today. Brother Wiley quotes it so often and so well with authority and in the Spirit. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Don't put it off. You need Jesus today. Maybe this morning you came and you're heartbroken and you're anxious, your soul is heavy, and God has brought you to this place to hear this message that God had given us, me and you both, and we had no clue that this appointment was needed. And God, with His infinite wisdom and His love and His great mercy, has offered you a message and He's saying to you, this is what you needed to hear today. This is it. And God has arranged an appointment for this decision in your life. As we come to get a song prepared, what song, Bryson? As we sing the song, as we stand to our feet, I want you to think about the circumstances of this meeting. It's like the same thing in your life happened to Abraham's life. The king of Sodom, the prince of this world, the devil himself is offering you all kinds of things. But the Lord Jesus comes... He offers you no money, offers you maybe no earthly comfort, 
But He offers you peace and righteousness. And that's everything, if you're honest with your mind and your heart, that's everything you've been looking for. And all the activities and all the deeds and all the drugs or all the spending or all the TV and all the buying and all the activities of your life have really been chasing that one thing. Peace, comfort, contentment, satisfaction. And we've all been looking for it. It's it's all we've been looking for. And you've spent all and you've suffered all, and you've looked everywhere, and still your heart is craving something. May I say to you that Jesus is what your heart's been craving. That the God of heaven and earth, who you were created to know Him and worship Him and experience Him, that's what you're missing. You're missing God. And that's what you've been looking for, and we don't think of it that way, but that's what your behavior is saying. You've been looking for something all your life. And Jesus, no wonder he says, come to me. And out of your bellies, I'll work from the inside out, out of your bellies will flow waters of living waters, springing up to everlasting life. He says, I'm the Prince of Peace. I have the sovereign authority of peace in your heart. And I want to offer it to you. I want to forgive your sins. That's what Jesus is saying. And there might be many hearts here this morning and you might be filled with shame and regret over your sins. That's right, your sins. And the shame is pronouncing accountability upon you that you're responsible for it. But praise the Lord, Jesus says, I'll take your sin upon myself. And he did. And Jesus died on a cross for your sin. He, who in his love, showed how much he loved you and that guilt and shame you've been carrying around all these years, Jesus took it upon himself. And he died on the cross. And he shed his blood and he took your place. And they buried him in the third day. Praise the Lord. He arose from the dead, didn't he? And now he stands, ever living, offering you salvation. And this salvation can be yours because He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. He's alive. Praise God, He's alive. He is a living, risen Savior. And He lives. And this was the whole plan from the beginning. That He might bring you back to God through Himself. And Jesus now lives. And He stands at your heart's door, don't He? And he's knocking and he's asking and he's pleading and he's saying, why won't you have me? I'm offering myself to you. Who is he? He is the God of the universe. The creator of heaven and earth. And he stands before you this morning offering you himself. And all you have to do is receive him. As many as received him, the Bible says, to them gave he power to become the sons of God and daughters of God. All you have to do is receive him. That's it. I would love to help you with that. If I can help you with that, I will love to help you with that. I offer my time for you. I will stay forever if that's what it takes. And maybe this morning you'd like to come and pray. And maybe you're an unbeliever. I'd love to meet you here. We could start right now. I'd love to talk with you about this Jesus who shed his blood for you that you might be saved and lives for your everlasting life. And he's alive and he's real 
and He's personable and you can know Him. If you don't know Christ this morning, He's offering Himself to you. And if you're a Christian this morning, tell the king of Sodom to kick the curb. No, I'm good. My family, my soul, my joy, my relationship to God is not for sale. I don't want your blessings. I have all that I need in Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. You obey the Lord this morning.